good morning to you, church. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, we're in 1 Thessalonians again today, chapter 2, also into chapter 3. And the message of uh, the title of the message today is Combat Ready. Isn't that a good message to preach on Mother's Day, right? I thought about, you know, that's probably not the best message or message title to preach on Mother's Day. And then I thought, well, we've had three teenagers. That's a very appropriate message uh, to preach on Mother's Day. Uh, but we're not going to be talking about parenting today. Uh, we're going to be talking about being ready for the fight that all of us are in as believers. And moms, one of your greatest responsibilities as a parent is to help your children survive in this world. You're not just watching over them for the moment, but you're preparing them for what lies in front of them. Not just pr protecting them, but readying them for the world that they are now living in. And so mom, you're preparing them to launch, preparing them to be adults. I don't know if you've ever watched a, a mother with her hatchlings, a mother bird with her hatchlings, as the bird is getting ready to fly, uh, but not quite sure, you know, the, the mother very patiently begins to work with, with the baby bird, uh, nudging that, that bird to, to step out and to stretch the wings out, know, knowing that she has a responsibility to prepare them for flight if they're going to survive in this world. M mama birds aren't the only kind of animals, of course, that do, do this kind of preparation. you got mama bears who are teaching their cubs how to hunt. Um, lions teach their cubs how to defend themselves. The, the entire animal kingdom describes for us uh, the responsibility of a parent to a child. Listen, parents and grandparents, you're, you're, you have a responsibility to do the same. You have a role. Uh, you, your children are not just there to give you comfort, to, to, to bring the warmth of a family, uh, but you're to prepare them, not just physically for this world, but to ready your children and grandchildren spiritually. And really, it's a task that the church itself has. So the church is a family. And we have a responsibility, those that are a part of the, this family, a part of this fellowship, to encourage one another and to prepare one another for the world that we now live in. And so today, as we dive back into 1 Thessalonians, we're going to be straddling a couple of chapters here today. We'll look at the end of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3. And in the passage that we'll read here in just a moment, We'll find Paul continuing to encourage the Thessalonian believers as they're facing ongoing persecution. There's a war going on, and Paul wants them to be prepared for the fight. This persecution that they're facing and enduring is a part of spiritual warfare. And it's a warfare that all of us as followers of Christ must face. We're also going to discover that it is together as believers in Jesus that we're really prepared and to be ready, combat ready, for this war warfare. So I want us to jump right into the text if we can. If you have your Bibles open, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 17. We'll continue to the end of the chapter and on to the, through the first five verses of the next chapter. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me as is our practice, our tradition as we begin to read God's Word and teach from it. Beginning in verse 17, again, these are the words of Paul written to the church in Thessalonica. Paul writes, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you 
I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and Christ's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason... When I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Let's pray. Lord, we may not be a persecuted church at this moment, but we are a church and a people that's engaged in spiritual warfare. Father, we need to be reminded that this warfare is real, it is happening, and we need to be prepared to face it, to endure it, to to remain standing through it. And Lord, as we've seen in this text, and as we see as we open this text, we are best prepared to fight in this spiritual war if we're not doing it alone. We need each other. We need the church. We need the fellowship of the believers. So Lord, I pray that we be encouraged here today that our engagement in the life of the church, our our pursuit of Christian relationships are not only a blessing, they are vital. So we ask your blessing on this text upon its preaching, but also that we be thankful for the blessing that is the church as we fight this war that wages around us. We ask this and we pray it in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go ahead and have a seat. Before I jump into our text today, let me encourage you to to make plans to be back next Sunday, because next Sunday is a very significant opportunity for our church to affirm our pastor emeritus, Dr. Ed Johnson, Uh, because next Sunday he will be preaching, uh, and he'll be preaching on the occasion of the 40th anniversary of his beginning with us as pastor many years ago. And so I encourage you to come back, be present, be an encouragement to him. We'll have a time of fellowship to follow uh, the service as we mark his incredible, uh, faithful, and, and, and nearly lifelong ministry among our, our fellowship of First Baptist Church of Ocala. If you're with us today for the very first time, uh, we want you to know we've been journeying through First uh, Thessalonians in this study. And one of the overarching themes in this text and in this letter is the idea that Paul's writing to encourage these, this church to stand firm. It's a, a call to stand firm no matter what you face, no matter how hard the affliction, no matter how hard persecution may come against you, stand firm in your faith and in the Lord. And if I can remind you a little bit about the backstory of what's going on here. Uh, this church, the, these believers, the, 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 the Christian church of Thessalonica, uh, was in Macedonia, which is in modern-day Greece today. And Paul and Silas, they were on Paul's second missionary journey, and they were touring around, spreading the gospel, uh, uh, particularly among Gentile people, but also sharing the gospel in Jewish synagogues in each city. And they arrived in Thessalonica and began to share the gospel there, starting first in the synagogue. 
And many people came to faith in Christ. Not just Jews, but also Gentiles in the, com- in the community. And uh, the church just began to explode. But not everyone embraced what Paul and Silas were doing there. Not everyone embraced their message. And some of the locals became upset with them and uh, put together a mob. Riots started breaking out throughout the city, forcing Paul and Silas to leave after about three weeks of ministry there. And they leave, but there are a number of believers whom they've, that have come to know Christ under Paul's ministry very quickly starting to learn about the faith and growing in the faith. And, but their homes are right there in Thessalonica. And they don't have the flexibility, the opportunity to move as quickly as Paul and Silas. They, they believe they, they, they were there. They were called there. And now some of these new Christians are being persecuted just as Paul and Silas were persecuted. So Paul now is writing back to them. They didn't have email. They didn't have cell phones. You either went and personally were with someone to communicate with them, or you sent a message via a messenger. They would even speak that message vocally, orally, or you would write a message down and pass it on. And oftentimes, weeks, if not months, would pass by before communication would happen between a couple of individuals who live far away. So Paul is writing now in a means of communication available to him at this time, a letter. And he's writing to them to encourage them that they press on in their faith. Now in today's passage, Paul is going to be inferring that the the suffering that they're going through is really the result of a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare, a greater conflict that's underway. And it's the same spiritual conflict that, that continues to this day that we all face. In fact, you'll find some clues that, this, that there is conflict going on throughout this passage we've just read. For instance, verse 17, it starts right off the bat when he says, we were torn away from you. He doesn't just simply say, hey, we, we left. But no, he says, we were torn away from you, indicating that some kind of violent conflict took place. In verse 18, he, he directly mentions uh, the, the, the arch enemy of the faith, Satan. Satan hindered us, reminding us who's ultimately behind the spiritual conflict that's going on around us. In chapter 3, in verses 3 and 4, he, he refers to afflictions. He talks about, you know, we, we want you to remain uh, firm in your faith so that no one will be moved by these afflictions and that we were made to suffer uh, affliction. All of this pointing out to to, to the reality that what they're going through is some kind of conflict. And then in verse 5, Paul writes about his fear that somehow the tempter had tempted them. That is, Satan, who is the tempter, uh, that, that Satan is behind all of the affliction ultimately that they're going through. So all of these clues point out to the fact that they and we are in the middle of a great conflict a great spiritual struggle, that we're engaged in spiritual warfare, that we're not just living in a manifest world, we're living in a spiritual world, and and because of that, we're in the middle of a great uh, cosmic conflict. So knowing this, church, how can we be ready for the fight? How can we be combat ready? Well, as we seek to be combat ready, we will keep standing firm in the faith Though the battle rages around us, and a key to being combat ready is to remember that we're not in this fight alone. I know we've got quite a few um, military veterans that are part of our church family, and we, we, we affirm you, we applaud you, and thank you for your service 
through, the, through the years uh, that, that the Lord allowed you to do that. And I, I will tell you, I, I never had an opportunity. I had the opportunity. I wasn't led of the Lord to, to be a part of the military. I tried to at one point, had a, a scholarship, an ROTC scholarship worked out when I was in high school. I wanted to be a, a, a fighter pilot. Um, but the Lord didn't give me good enough eyesight, so, and he had another plan for me. But for those of you who have served in the military, I want you to know, I'm a little envious of your service. I'm, I'm grateful for what you were able to do, but you have the ability to say what I cannot say is that you were willing to put, lay down your life on behalf of our country. You proudly served our country, but you also had the opportunity to experience camaraderie with your fellow soldiers. I've watched my father, who, who is a proud uh, Marine, and uh, you, you know, not, not used to be a Marine. Well, they say once a Marine, always a Marine, and it's true if you've ever been around him. And to see the camaraderie that he has with fellow Marines. And if you've served in the military, you know what I'm talking about. You understand the importance of what it means to rely upon others in the midst of a fight. Well, church, do not forget that as followers of Jesus, that we are soldiers in His army, and that we are in the middle of a grand cosmic war. And we must never forget, we must always remember that we're not fighting this battle alone. We have God on our side, yes, but He's given us each other. And like soldiers in the military, we're engaging in this spiritual battle with, with uh, br brothers in arms and sisters in arms. And, and throughout this passage, you're going to see this reflected in the idea that we're not alone fighting this fight, but that we're in this together. And we, we need to be combat ready together. So what I'd like to do is to, to, to show you five ways that I've gleaned from this text, from Paul's words here, that will help us to be combat ready. So let's take a look at them. The first is inferred and hinted at in verses 17 and 18. Paul's going to begin to express his longing to be with the Thessalonian believers. Look at verse 17 again. We just mentioned this first phrase when he says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in, in person, not in art, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you. And as Paul said it, look, it's... We want to come to you, but I, Paul, again and again wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. Here Paul is revealing his yearning to be reunited with the Thessalonian believers. They didn't, they didn't leave, they didn't depart willingly, they were torn away from them. The picture that is given there with that phrase being torn away from you gives the picture of a, of a mother with a child in her hand and, and maybe the enemy comes along and grabs a hold of that child and snatches the child out of the hands of the mother. In fact, this, this phrase is often used in, in, in uh, ancient Greek to, to describe what it means to be orphaned. It's describing a forced separation. But Paul is saying, look, even though we have gone through this separation, we've been separated in person, we're not separated in heart. My heart is still with you. It still longs for you. He still had a great affection for them. He, he still wanted to be with them. And so with the longing of a parent for his or her, her separated orphan children, Paul says, I want to be reunited with you. You mean that much to me. And notice the intensity of, of his feelings, of his longing. He says, we endeavored eagerly and with great desire to see you. 
and had Satan not hindered them in, in some way, Paul would have already reunited with them a, a, up to this point. And so Paul is reminding us of the, of the significance and the importance of Christian fellowship. That being in Christian community, it matters. Being together, it matters. And we're not just talking about being together in spirit. That there's something about gathering together and physically being present with one another. As Paul says, I wanted to see you face to face. He endeavored to do so. So here's the first point. A good way to be combat ready as we face spiritual warfare is to persist in being together. Persist in being together. The, the idea of endeavoring and, and eagerly desiring it, it, it conveys this idea that Paul is persisting in this. He is pushing for it. And this is why membership matters. It's why church participation matters. We're all in this cosmic war together, and we should therefore be together. But you know, I think that in the Western culture, in the Western church, that we, we're seeing this growing trend where we don't quite appreciate the importance of being together like we should. And the evidence of that is, is this growing lack of Christians who are endeavoring and eagerly de desiring, with, with great desire to be together. Can I give you an example of that? Well, just this week, there was a, a report that was put out among Southern Baptist churches about the latest membership numbers. Did you see this? You know, we're the largest uh, Protestant denomination in the country, the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, the, the, our total membership, as compared to the previous year, this latest report says that among our 42,000 churches, that our membership has dropped by 457,000 people in one year. Yes. That's the largest drop in, in 100 years in membership among Southern Baptist churches. By the way, that's not just a one-year thing. So this is the third year in a row where we've seen significant drops. And over the last three years... We've seen a loss among Southern Baptist membership rolls of 1.3 million members. Is that a little troubling to you? It's troubling to me. There's a lot of reasons behind this. Uh, some of it is, of course, churches are getting better about keeping up with their roles. We've done a really good job about that around here. Uh, I've been a part of churches that uh, were, you know, if you became a member of the church, you know, you, you, you've, if we don't know that you've passed away, you know, if you've moved away, but you've not let us, we just keep putting your name on the membership roll infinitum. Uh, I was a part of a church uh, where we had a, a membership uh, that, that had stretched for a hundred years, and we still had a couple of the original members still on the roll, even though they were with Jesus, right? We don't do that around here. A lot of churches are getting better about making sure uh, that, that the roles reflect who's actually participating Friend, that's not the real problem. The real problem is that, that we're seeing our churches getting smaller. And it's not just a Southern Baptist thing. It, it, church membership and involvement in American churches has been in drastic decline for years. We've seen it. We're feeling it in our culture. A lot of the things that we may find offensive or troubling out in the culture is often directly tied to a loss of a Judeo-biblical mentality and understanding of the world. And the church has been the one that is, has been shepherding that in the Western context. What we're now seeing is that People just don't trust institutions anymore. We don't trust uh, the, the government. We don't trust the schools. We don't trust the, trust the medical complex. And guess what? People are also turning their distrust to the, toward the church as an institution. 
And as people are, are no longer trusting the church as, as an institution, what they're ultimately doing is they're really bailing on spiritual community. And, what the, and they're losing out on one of the most important resources that they have if they're believers in Jesus, one of the most important resources they, they have as a Christian in this cosmic war that we're in. They're losing their support of fellow believers. Now listen, I know I'm likely preaching to the choir to say it to people that are actually gathered to worship today. So thank you for being here. But you, you probably already know this. It's why that you're here. But let me just take a moment to say something to, uh, that I've really not taken a moment to say to a particular group. And it's to those who stopped attending their churches in person in 2020. You stepped away for a a, a, a disease, or you stepped away for some other reason, you, you, maybe you started watching online, maybe you quit watching online, I don't know, and maybe you're going to hear this, the Lord may direct you to, to catch a, a repost of this video on Facebook or on our website, or maybe you're actually watching online right now. You're watching online, but you've never really returned to regular church attendance, maybe popped in once or, or twice, but I, I just feel like I need to say this to you, it's time it's time to come back home. It's time to be with your family. Just as you would not stay away uh, from your family, your earthly family, if you have a, a healthy relationship, you wouldn't stay away. You don't need to stay away from your spiritual family. And listen, it, it's not just you who, who's missing out on what, what the Lord is doing here. We're missing out because you're not with us. You're a part of who we are. God has sent you to be a part of us. And, and, and listen, if you've developed a habit of not being here, it's time to reestablish an old habit of being present because you are missed. See, being together is vitally important. We, we need to have this attitude that Paul had of endeavoring to be together, of striving to, to, to be together. You don't, don't be flippant about your, other, your responsibilities in the world, like going to your job. You wouldn't be flippant about going to school. Do not be flippant about the relationships that we have together as a family, a spiritual family. Being together is vitally important, so persist in it. Now, look at the next couple of verses. You'll see it in verses 19 and 20. Paul says, For what is our hope or joy? or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you, Paul says to the Thessalonians? For you are our glory and joy. What Paul is describing here is some point in the future that he's looking forward to. He knows the day is coming when Jesus is coming back. Praise God, he is coming back. And Jesus is coming back, and so Paul's got his eyes on the fact that Jesus is returning one day. Jesus lived his life, he died for our sins, was buried, came back to life. We know 40 days after, the, after he rose from the grave, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. But we were told at his departure that he was coming back just as he left. And Paul believed it, and he has his eyes on that fact that there's coming a day when all of this gets wrapped up. And on that day, Paul says that he will have a hope, he will have a joy, and he will have a crown of boasting. And Paul says to the, the Thessalonians, that hope, that joy, that crown of boasting that I will present to Jesus one day as an act of, of worship, that hope, joy, and crown is you. You. You are our glory and joy. But in order for that to happen... Paul knows that the Thessalonians are going to have to persevere. They can't stop. They can't quit. 
They cannot give up. They cannot give in. They must stand firm and stand true. Which is why Paul was so anxious to get back to be with him. He wants to see whether or not they were persevering in the middle of their spiritual battle because he knows that perseverance in the faith is going to be far easier for them if they persevere not on their own but with others encouraging them. So another way to be combat ready and a reason why we need to keep pressing in and leaning on one another is that we persevere together. That's the second truth. We persevere together. We persist in being together. Why? So that we can persevere together. You know the name John McCain? We, we know the late John McCain for his days in the Senate. He was also a, a, a presidential candidate hopeful. But before that, he was a, a prisoner of war survivor during the Vietnam War. He almost didn't survive it. He spent five years in a Vietnamese prison. They, he suffered miserably. They, they mistreated him beaten regularly, was denied uh, regular medical care when, when, he, when he suffered. He uh, had two broken arms, a broken leg, chronic dysentery, all while he was in, imprisoned. But for John McCain, there was something far worse than the physical pain and, and affliction that he suffered. It was the, the pain of isolation. Two out of the five years that he spent in a Vietnamese prison, he spent in solitary confinement, locked in a tiny isolated cell, cut off from all human contact. He would, he would describe that time like this. He said, isolation crushes your spirit and weakens your resistance more effectively than any other form of mistreatment. It was during that time he said that he, he twice tried to kill himself by taking his clothes uh, to create a noose, trying to, to end his life. Both times he was caught by guards, and instead of encouraging him, they beat him. And He said, you know, I just couldn't control my despair. All my pride was lost. I, I doubted I would ever stand up to any man again. Nothing could save me. And his experience was not unique. Many men who endured isolation from others for an extended amount of time in situations like that, had the same kind of feelings. Friends, it is hard to persevere under severe affliction. And it's nearly impossible to persevere when you're utterly alone. When you isolate yourself from those who can help you to, to, to stand up and to face what you're facing. That's why we as believers need to lean upon one another. Suffering, affliction, it's likely, it's, it's not inevitable, but we don't have to face it alone. God has given us each other. One may suffer in ways that others may not, but we're, we're, we've been given this gift of fellowship together, and we're more likely to stand firm to the end if we help each other through it. I want you to turn to chapter 3 as we continue, because you're going to see an absolute necessary help described here about us being combat ready Verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. So Paul's just revealed that he's unable to return himself. Why? Because Satan hindered him. We saw that in the, the end of the last chapter. And so Paul decides to send his protege, Timothy, to go in his place. And he affirms to the Thessalonians that, that Timothy is a worthy substitute. He says he's our brother and he's God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. So I'm sending you good help. 
And so I'm going to send this man to you, even though uh, that meant Paul and Silas, that we have to stay behind and we're left alone in Athens. We're sending you Timothy. And Paul gives Timothy uh, to them and sends Timothy with this one overly large charge, and that is to establish and to exhort the Thessalonians in their faith. Timothy himself is growing in the Lord, and he is in a in position to provide for them what they desperately needed, that is to be established and exhorted in their faith. To be established in the faith meant grounding them in the Word, grounding them in, in right biblical and theological thinking, likely spending a lot of time with them in the Scriptures to help grow them in the faith, teaching them the deep truths of the faith. And by exhorting them in the faith, well, that meant encouraging them and helping them to, to take what they are now learning and becoming obedient to it, living it out, teaching them to observe all that Christ had commanded them, leading them to put into practice what they had learned. And so these two tasks, establishing in the faith, exhorting in the faith, these are at the heart of what we call discipleship. And we make a really big deal around here about discipleship. We, we even put it in our mission statement that we glorify God by making disciples. Of all the things that we need to be about here as a congregation, we need to be about building one another up in the faith and, and growing in discipleship. It's how we grow in the faith. But here's the catch. These two tasks of establishing in the faith and exhorting in the faith, they can only be done together in community. You can't establish someone in the faith without someone else. You can't be established in the faith without someone coming along and doing the establishing. You can't exhort someone in the faith without someone to exhort. And you can't be exhorted uh, in the faith without some, someone coming along and exhorting you. This points to another reason why we need each other as we face spiritual warfare. It's that this third point. We grow together. We grow together. If you want to be ready for the battle that's raging around us, get together and grow together. And as we grow in the faith together, we're better able to remain steadfast in the face of persecution. I, I, I learned something recently about trees that I didn't previously know. That trees, as they grow in a forest, there is a fungus that is in the soil that helps trees grow together. So when the, when the trees begin to grow and their roots begin to spread out and their roots begin to touch one another, the fungus sort of links the trees together, even sometimes trees of a different type of species, so that a whole forest may end up being linked together and then they're able to share with one another. One tree may have more access to water, another tree may have more access to nutrients, another tree may be better exposed to sunlight, but they're all working together in the soil to help one another grow. And that, my friends, is the church. God has shaped us and gifted us. We're not all at the same place. We're not all gifted in the same way. But we need each other and we're here to support one another. And we need to be together alongside of one another to help one another grow in the Lord. And when we do that, friends, we're far better to be able to face the battle that rages around us. Now consider verses 3 and 4. He says that no one may be moved by these afflictions. I want you to be established and exhorted in the faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. 
If you were here last week, you'll remember in last week's message, we learned the why of persecution. Why is it that sometimes Christians who are sharing their faith and living for Jesus and are on mission for Him, why do they suffer persecution? And the point and the purpose of persecution uh, from the perspective of the persecutor is to stop the mission. It's to discourage the spread of the gospel. It's to, to hinder the flourishing of the Christian faith. I want you to remember something else that I said last week. I told you that persecution is actually to be expected. We've been on, on, at, at a disadvantage, those of us who've been living long enough, we've been at the disadvantage of living in a heavily Christianized culture for so long. And even though the culture is now shifting and moving in a different direction, we remember those days when the easiest thing that, that you could do in our, in our society was to be a faithful churchgoer. Remember those days? It was expected as part of the culture. Those days are past us. And so we may have that in our mind and we wish that to be true again. But friend, you need to know that actually to be a follower of Christ, you need to expect persecution. But also I told you we shouldn't be discouraged when the persecution happens. We shouldn't be all up in arms. Well, that's what Paul is saying here. He says, you know, you know that we are destined for this. We kept telling you we were to suffer persecution, affliction. And the reason why he says this, it's obvious. He's, he's reassuring them that what they're going through, they're suffering through, for the faith, it's actually a normal thing. It's not something we, we don't want to experience it, but, but we shouldn't avoid it. We shouldn't think that there's something wrong. Suffering for Jesus because you're on mission for Him is a normal thing. And that as growing believers... We shouldn't be taken by surprise by it when it happens. See, we all need to be reminded of this. That when we suffer, what we suffer it isn't unique to us individually. And that's, that it's all a part of the plan. And that we're going to be okay. It's not God's plan for us. He has a, a bigger ultimate plan and victory to come. But when, it, when we suffer for Him, it's understood that that was a part of it. And so with that, we need to remind each other of this fact. Which is another reason why we need each other, and it's this fourth point. We need to be together to reassure one another. There are seasons when it gets hard, and I may be in a low point, and you may be in a better place, that I, and, and it's in that moment of, of, of low uh, and, and hard affliction that I need you to come along and say, hey, pastor, it's going to be okay. You may have a moment when the Lord is kind to me, and, and, and my world is okay, but you're suffering so. And you need me to come alongside of you and say, hey, don't give up. I know it's hard and I know what, you, what you're suffering is because you've stood obedient to the word of God and it's cost you personally in this world. But you need to be okay and, 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 and remember that it's all going to be okay. And so I just want to reassure you that what's happening to you is not your fault. And that ultimately there is a, there is a win out there. Paul had been through persecution and suffering himself. He, he knew why his persecutors were treating him the way that he was treating him. And he also knew why the persecutors of the Thessalonians were poorly treating them. They were trying to stop them. They were trying to discourage them. And just as Paul himself did not stop and was not discouraged by the persecution that he faced, he is now seeking to, to encourage and reassure the Thessalonian believers, hey, I've been through that. And I told you to expect that, so don't let this be a source of discouragement for you as you suffer. Don't be moved by these afflictions. It brings to mind Paul's words in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians. 
verses 3 and 4, I often read this, this, these two verses at funeral services, but I think that they aptly apply to the circumstance of a Christian who's suffering for the faith. Here's what Paul writes there. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. If you didn't understand what Paul was saying there, Paul was saying, look, when you're in a bad place, God comforts you. When you're suffering, God comforts you in the middle of your affliction, but, but His comforting to you enables you then to turn around and go comfort someone else when they are afflicted and reassure them that, that, that it's all going to be okay. You're going to be reassured and you then go help someone else be reassured that God is in control. You know, as a ministry family, Jennifer and I have had our moments of affliction and suffering. And I don't, I don't say that lightly. I, I don't say that facetiously. We've had some very difficult days in the ministry in our, in our journey, haven't we, sweetheart? Um, and listen, the, the difficulty, and I will say it clearly, there were seasons which we felt like we were being persecuted. And this was not from folks outside of the church. It was from people in the church. People who would sit in the pews on a Sunday morning just like you. And listen, we've endured personal attacks. This is nothing recent, by the way, so don't, don't start wondering what's going on, all right? We've endured our share of personal attacks. We've been slandered. We've been shunned. But something has happened through the years is we've had people that have come alongside of us and encouraged us along the way. We've learned and we've, we've weathered the things that we've been through. And, uh, you know, today we're not as troubled by those things when they arise like we used to be. Sort of funny now the things that I used to worry about that I don't worry so much about anymore. But you know what? You know who is troubled these days? Younger pastors and younger ministers' wives. By the way, let me take a moment. This was not planned. My wife is incredible, and I'll tell you why. Among the many reasons why. She is currently the president of the Southern Baptist Convention's Ministers' Wives Luncheon. Uh, and that'll take place in, in next month in New Orleans at the annual meeting. Uh, there will be 2,000 minister wives, pastor's wives, gathering together for a luncheon. My wife has shepherded all of that. She got thrown into that at the last minute. I think she had about seven or eight months or so to, to prepare what normally takes two years uh, to put together. She has been a champ and has raised all the money and, and got, they're still working. I encourage you to pray for her over that. Yeah, affirm her. It's a, it's a big deal. It's a real big deal. But I will tell you, she said something a few days ago. She said, we've had all this planning. 2,000 women are going to come to this event. It's the largest ticketed event, a paid ticketed event at the Southern Baptist Convention. And she's, she and her team have done a great job preparing for this. But she said, you know, with all of the business and prep for all of this, she said, I, I, I do not want to lose sight over the fact that there are women, pastors' wives, who are out serving in small little churches that don't have the privilege of being at such a blessed church like First Baptist Church. They don't have a, a church staff like we have. And they're out there serving alone. And we want to make sure that they are loved on, encouraged, and, and let them know that, that they can do this. They can survive this. And so friend, I'm telling you that, that that's part of what it means to be in family together is to reassure one another. Jennifer and I from time to time have the opportunity uh, to encourage others to say, look, it's going to be okay. What you're suffering is not unique to you. It's part of the journey. You were destined for this. You were told that this was going to happen, but don't 
forget that God is for you and with you. One of the best ways to be combat ready is to know that you're not alone and gathering with others who can assure you to that point. Now, Paul offers us one more thing to consider. You're going to see it in the last verse there, verse 5. He says this, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Listen, I'm sure that Paul wanted to assume the best about the Thessalonians, that even though he had left, that the things that he was hearing, that they were remaining true, that they were faithful, he probably wanted to believe that they were standing firm, but he really didn't know why he was sending this letter, why he was sending Timothy. He may have even started to wonder if they had succumbed to some of Satan's temptations as the afflictions start being piled upon them. Maybe were they tempted to just give up and, and say, look, I can, I can end all of this suffering and all this persecution by just renouncing Christ, just walking away from Jesus. He wasn't sure, and so that's why part of why he had sent Timothy to them was not just to in, 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 establish them and encourage them in the faith, He wanted Timothy to take a good look around. He wanted to know and to see if they had remained true. By the way, the fact that Paul wasn't sure if they had or not ought to be a warning to you. It ought to be a warning to me that it is possible that there is a danger in the middle of this cosmic war that we're in and the danger is that we might be tempted to walk away. Or we might be tempted to to, to shut down and to be silent. We don't want the persecution. We don't want the pushback that comes from those who stand up for Jesus. So we're just going to take a back seat. If that that possibility is real, yes, it is real, then we need some accountability. We need each other. Why? Here's the fifth reason. To watch over one another. To watch over one another. I'm talking about a you watch my back and I'll watch your back kind of mentality. If I start, start to falter, you're there to warn me. To say, hey, why are, you, why are you not being as bold as you should be? To, to encourage me. If you start to falter, I'm there for you to encourage you. So we all need each other. And we, part of the reason why we need each other is we need somebody watching our back. We need somebody watching out for us and to watch over us that we may continue to, to remain established and exhorted to be all that we are in Christ. You know, I've already shared a fact I learned about trees, but I, I've got another one because I was thinking about this message and the, the idea of, of trees being together and, and the significance of that and why, how it's a good story or analogy for us. There's a particular stretch, a windy stretch of road, an, an interstate, uh, it's I, I-40. It runs from Knoxville, Tennessee to Asheville, North Carolina. Maybe you've been on it. It snakes back and forth through the mountains. If you've ever been through there, you'll notice that the, the mountainsides are very steep and the area is subject uh, to avalanches and, and snowstorms. Uh, the, the interstate through there has been closed for both of those reasons on occasion. There was once a very heavy and wet snowfall. Six inches just dropped out of the sky. And it was interesting to see the, the trees and how they responded in, in part of that section. Ne- next to the highway stood a, 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 a grove of young pine trees if you looked at them, you could see the, the effects of the snow. The snow had weighted down on those trees and on the limbs. And so that they, the trees, many of them were bowed over so that the, tree, the branches of one tree were, were touching or nearly touching the other trees and they're sort of leaning against one another, but yet they still stood. There was another place in which there was a tree that had stood all alone 
And the effect of the snow was completely different. The snow on the branches had become so heavy that the branches began to snap off. And then when the, the full rush of the snow came, there was no other tree for the, the single tree to lean against. The branches snapped and the lone tree fell. You see the point, right? When the storms of life hit us, when the affliction comes, you better be standing next to another tree. You better be standing close by to another believer in Christ. They may be suffering the same thing that you're suffering from, but together we can weather what we're facing and we can watch out for one another to make sure that we're not broken and we don't fall. I, I hope the point of all of this passage is clear. Yes, we are in a spiritual battle, and it's ultimately a battle, but not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil, and that we must be ready for it. Combat ready, and the best way for us to be ready is to be ready together. So I'm encouraging you, church, listen. And for those who may come across this message later on, or maybe you're watching live today, persist in being together. Let's desire it. Let's endeavor for it greatly, passionately, eagerly seeking to protect this fellowship and being a part of it. That way we can persevere together and grow together and, and reassure one another and watch over one another. Because this war that we're in is too hard to take on alone. So what I want to do is I want to pray for you as the church. And I want to pray that we truly be grateful for this this family that we have and I'm going to challenge you in this prayer to lean in to what this blessed gift we have known as the church together let's pray together Lord Lord this war is too hard to take on alone and so Lord I pray that you would now encourage us to be as appreciative of this gift of the church as we possibly can be and to not take for granted this gift of fellowship. I specifically want to pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that for one reason or another have chosen to step away. Maybe they intended to do so. Maybe it, it, it just happened briefly and before you know it, months, then years have ticked off and the habit that they used to have of being with the body has now turned into a habit of being remotely connected, which is nowhere near a substitute for the real thing of being face to face. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are known as the church, specifically this local congregation, but the church at large throughout this, this world, that we would lean into one another as the, as the war is raging this great cosmic conflict that will not let up, Lord, until you come back. But Lord, we will be willing to see the war, but to be ready for the war. Help us to persist with one another, that we might persevere and grow and reassure one another, and that we watch out for one another, because this battle is real and Satan is wily. And we need you and we need each other to stand. Stand firm for the glory of the kingdom. So Lord, we pray and we ask that we be encouraged by these words. In your name we pray. Amen.